Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's weekly podcast, C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm your host each week. You may recognize me also as the host of Franklin Covey's leadership podcast called On Leadership with Scott Miller, now the world's largest weekly podcast dedicated to leadership. We found that often the interviews that were the most downloaded and accessed weren't the ones with the biggest celebrity or the Hollywood name or always the best-selling author. They were entrepreneurs, people like you and I that had done a tremendous amount of research, struggle. They learned some things that we could relate to and implement in our lives. It's why we launched this podcast. And our guest today is Eric Pollier, who is the CEO of Vadim, who's going to talk to us about all things digital, NFTs, crypto, blockchain, the metaverse, Web 3.0, all the things that we read about every day in the Wall Street Journal and bluff our way through with our baby doge and our Bitcoin and things like that. But today we're going to actually de-escalate the sophistication of the conversation. Eric has agreed to dial off a few numbers of his IQ and talk to us like a real guy to educate us on what all these things mean to us, not just in our personal lives, but in our professional lives. Eric, welcome to C-Suite Conversations. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Eric, you've had an illustrious career. Uh, you've raised over a billion dollars for the ventures you've been involved in. You spend your time both on the East Coast and the West Coast. Would you take a few moments and maybe reorient our listeners and viewers from around the world to what has been your own professional journey, which brought you currently to Vadim? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my journey has been, in some ways, a mirror to the journey of the web and its evolution. And when you talk about how you take all these buzzwords and terms and make it simple so that people can understand it, I think my journey, in fact, plays into that because it's not about the complexity under the hood. It's about how do you use it? So my journey started, uh, this is by my 16th company, but hopefully my last, because I think it actually brings together everything that we've been working on for decades. Uh, If you look back to 1996, yeah, I got a couple of gray hairs here. And you think about where we were. My first investor back then was co-founder of Microsoft, Paul Allen. And he saw, as we did, that there was something afoot in this transition from the internet and kind of services that were using that to the web. And so my journey started with really trying to evangelize the idea that the World Wide Web could be something absolutely seismic that could change the world across sectors. And for a while, I was out there trying to convince people to get a website. So my journey started there. At some point, people stopped saying, why do I need a website? I have a brochure. I have a TV commercial. I have radio. What possible reason would I want for this slow thing that downloads a page in 30 seconds and has a postage style video that plays three frames per second? No one's going to need this. And then it shifted. And once it shifted, nobody questioned anymore why you would want to use the web for your business across healthcare, education, government, loyalty programs, any kind of uh, system you want that will reach people or to talk to systems. And then something crazy happened, which was everyone just turned and said, how do I make it better? How do I apply this more deeply? Not whether or not I use it. So then I went and started to build companies along that journey. We started with things like How do you create transactional websites? How do you move to open source and use APIs, which are ways to to hit systems and not have to rewrite the code each time and reuse it? So as as you start to move along that journey, you actually end up with a very logical progression. You started, we started with static, 
pages. Then we had dynamic, then we had user-generated content, which you might call web two, which allowed us to do things like, like um, things like TikTok now and, and Facebook and uh, Twitter, where we're actually generating the content from the crowd and we're able to do commerce. And now we get to the last piece, not the last, because I'm sure it'll go on for hundred years more, but the next big step. And that's what we call web three. It's the convergence of these set of technologies that now allows us to bring the human back into the equation that allows us to add a social layer and an experiential layer. So when we add these pieces, and I'll describe a little bit more detail what that means, you get a completely different level of experience for your online communication. So what, what we do now with Vatom is we provide a platform to build your metaverse. And what that means to every group will be something different, but I'll tell you what it does not mean. It's not running around in a game like Ready Player One or Fortnite and making that better. That's just one use case. The Vatom platform allows you to take your current communication strategy and now make it dramatically more engaging and be able to follow up with the people you're interacting with and create the next generation of the internet. Eric, well said, let's take that a step further. I want you to, for a moment, assume that our listenership is the C-suite of the Fortune 5000, the C-suite of the Inc. 5000, yeah. and that the chief technology officer or the CIO is not listening. It's the CHRO, it's the chief yeah. marketing officer, the CFO, the COO, that may not have a strong tech background. They may have no yeah. tech background. They may have a sales background, marketing, would you explain to them why they will be caring about the metaverse? Yes. The reason why they care about the metaverse is because they already care about what the metaverse brings. What they care about today, what you care about today, if, this, if you're listening, is how do I engage with my audience? How do I engage with my customers more deeply in a way that is value-based on both sides, in a way that they want to engage with me and I can build a long-term relationship that ultimately leads to commerce. There are no companies on the planet that don't want to engage deeper with their customers and to create a better relationship. And so the metaverse is gonna bring this. If we think about the metaverse as the next generation of the internet adding three things. So, so let's be very clear, this is not technical, this is, practical for what's missing on the internet today to go to the next level. The first thing is, if you go to a website today, every single website is gonna ask you, or app, by the way, use of the internet, every one of them is gonna ask you to log in and go into their silo. And your identity as a consumer is gonna be in that silo. And then you go to another one, you log in, you log in. You, as a person, are not moving across it. So you don't have a real identity system that goes across the internet. That's one thing. The next thing is there's no notion of true ownership. So if I go into uh, a, a certain experience today and you give me something, it dies if your site dies or if, you're, if the game dies. If the, if the thing that I'm getting, it doesn't have a psychology of ownership, I don't value it the same way. So I can't really own anything today. The next thing is, the internet as it exists today, pre-metaverse, right, is an information base. You don't say like, hey, mom, I'm buying a car. Go meet me at cars.com. She'd be like, what do you mean meet me at cars.com? Cars.com is a place to get information. It's not a place to meet. It's not a place to be. It's not a place to interact and run into things and have experiences. 
it's a place to display information and maybe take information and maybe share information that you got. But that's very different than our real world experience. Remember, our real world experience, the way we've evolved to understand the world, is based on people, places, and things in the real world. Now, our digital experience is really disconnected from that. We don't have a notion of people, places, and things. We have a notion of information. So now as our now as we more fully integrate, and not just we, like if you're if you're a C-level suite person and you're thinking about how are we going to not only survive, but thrive and compete in the next generation of, uh, of the internet, what you're gonna notice is that your audience is more fully integrating their digital and physical lives. And therefore you have to understand how do you play into that? What's happening with the metaverse is that these three elements, three elements, people, places, and things are now moving to a persistent layer in the digital zone. So let's talk about each one, people. What that means is that we're gonna have your own identity. That's gonna be represented in the metaverse layer as a wallet. Every single man, woman, and child on the planet is gonna have a digital wallet and it's gonna hold a couple things. One is it's gonna be their identity. So when you arrive to something, you'll be yourself. So you show up, you log in with your wallet and your wallet's gonna hold things. Well, that goes to the notion of true ownership. These things are called NFTs. For those of you that are not very familiar with NFTs, what that stands for is non-fungible token. What that means very basically is that you can have an object, a digital object, that has the same psychology of ownership as a physical object. So today, if I go into Yankee Stadium and I get a baseball cap and I own that, I have a feeling like this is mine and I can take it home and I could wear it to Dodger Stadium. I might get a tomato thrown at me, but it's mine. I can do what I want with it. That's very different in the, than in the online world today where I have something, I sign what's called a EULA and it's very, very specific to this digital information. It's ephemeral, it goes away. I don't really have a sense that it's mine. So these, that's two of the elements, there's three. So one is I show up as myself with my wallet. Two is I have objects that are now owned. I can pick them up from the digital plane. I can bring them into, for instance, I can pick up a Coke from a website or from a digital space. I can go to 7-Eleven and get a real one. That's, the, that's an idea of the psychology of ownership or a ticket or something that changes state based on a sports scores. So I, I now have this thing and I, I believe I own it. And now the next thing, and probably one of the more important aspects that brings it all together is the social component. The web today is really not a social place. We call it social media, but it's actually the opposite. It actually pulls us apart from each other. Because again, we're interacting mostly with information that interacts with people. And that creates this notion of disconnection, this kind of epidemic of loneliness and, and what we're seeing with the kind of backlash against how social media is working today. The next generation of social media is actually social. So you have the, you have the, the people, you have the real things that you own, and now you have this social experience where you go to a place online, a persistent environment, and I could hear you out of my right ear if I walk up to you, and I hear someone else out of my left ear, and I could go past them and spontaneously run into someone. So whether that's for medicine uh, and interacting with a doctor, or whether that's for customer service, et cetera, you won't find a website coming up that doesn't have a come inside button. A website without a come inside button is gonna feel naked. So the, the metaverse is really just the next evolution of a better way to engage with your constituents, whether that's your employees, your suppliers, or most importantly, your customers. 
Eric, that's a great start. Thank you for taking the time to walk us through some of that. L let me throw you a couple of challenges here. Let me finish my question. Wait. So Delta Airlines, at the end of the day, they sell a seat on an airplane that goes through the air. Marriott sells a hotel room. PepsiCo sells beverages and snacks. Florists sell tulips. All of these companies are going to have some role in the metaverse. They're going to have a, their current website that is interactive, that has a come inside. Why does, why does Marriott care about the metaverse? Yeah, let's go through each of those examples. They're all good. Every example fits because every example, as I mentioned, at first said, why do I need a website? Then why do I need a better website and a better one? Now they're asking themselves, why do I need a better one again? Well, let's take a look at Marriott, as you suggested. So Marriott has something uh, called perishable inventory. What, that means that they have rooms that if they're sold, they get a certain amount of dollars in. And if they're not, they go away forever. There's no way to recapture a room that wasn't filled yesterday. So what can you do about that? So this is just one example of 30 we can brainstorm on. But one thing is you can codify that perishable inventory, that room, as an NFT, right? As a digital object that can be owned, but also secured on blockchain, meaning that there's an independent uh, security mechanism that we can now move that around, buy, sell, and trade it. Now that has independent value. So now let's say that the user, uh, the, the uh, either current customer or potential customer can now be reached. Let's say, for instance, you make a deal with iHeart and they're going to a concert nearby to a Marriott. On the way to the concert, they got it. They, they're looking at their ticket. The ticket opens up, it's in their wallet, and guess what falls in? Perishable inventory. Things that if they were to gamify or share with three people, now turn into an actual room, which by the way, they may or may not want because they may have plans. They can use it another day or they can send it to a friend. This now becomes viral. People now get their own wallet, get engaged. And now what was about to go away as zero potential value to Marriott actually turns into a marketing system and ultimately a loyalty system. Because when you give somebody something, they are someone, meaning you now have a direct value-based relationship that they've opted in an ethical and uh, legal relationship to now continue that dialogue. So that's just one example of how a, a group like that would use it. The same example holds for something like Delta, which is perishable inventory on their, um, on their seats. But then when you land somewhere on Delta, you also, same thing with Marriott, come to think of it, you, you're actually in a place, in a physical, real-life place. Well, what, what do you have there? What are the restaurants? What are the, what are the museums? What are the things to see? Well, all those things will fall onto your wallet as NFTs to be something that you can engage with more information, to get discounts, to connect to the actual venue. They become tickets. Uh, now you're, again, connected. This loyalty program expands to partners, and they generate revenue streams, not only about advertising, marketing, but affiliate marketing for actually driving people to certain types of behaviors and certain types of transactions. That, that, now, that same example now naturally moves over to a packaged good company like Pepsi or Coke or any of these groups. Now imagine you're Pepsi or Coke and you're sitting here and you see, oh my gosh, Apple just knocked out our cookies. Uh, we don't know how to reach our people the same way. People don't like to watch these TV commercials. They're not clicking on banner ads. They don't want to be spammed by email. Nobody wants a text in the middle of, of dinner. So how do we reach people? Well, you reach people by creating value. It's a different part of the brain that activates when you say, hey, how about I take the most important thing in your life, the, most, the only thing that matters to you as a consumer, your time, 
And in exchange, I'll give you uncertain value. That's what a banner ad does. How about instead saying, let's cut out all the middlemen, all the people that are taking all the money that we're using now to reach you, and let's just give you a Coke or give you a Pepsi or give you a bag of chips. Now this value equation changes because even if I don't want this good that I'm being offered, this gift, I will know somebody else who does. And it's perceived as value for no time. It, terms of the, it takes the time to value equation, turns it upside down. So now I'm giving you something which you can take off a billboard, take off a TV commercial, take off a Instagram ad. Now I have it. Now I have this connection and I can, I can give it to a friend, which better to give than receive anyway. I've gotten value for it. I've got an ongoing relationship. And now this group, this Pepsi, this Coke, this, this CPG company does not have to ask Walmart for permission to talk to their own customer or Mark Zuckerberg to talk to their own customer. This is a group that now has, a, has first party data that they've generated and a direct one-to-one -one relationship that is value-based, completely different model. But again, it's an evolutionary model, not something that's foreign or complex. It's just the next step of how you would use the internet. Eric, for those that might have been struggling up until now, to really understand the metaverse. At the end of the day, the metaverse is simply a way to engage, connect directly with others, with the expectation is you're going to end up with a Pepsi in your hand or a Coke in your hand or it sleeping in a Marriott hotel room. Marriott's not changing their business model. Delta's not moving into the virtual travel world per se. You're still gonna board a plane. It really is just a way to better connect uniquely and directly with your customer. Well, for that, for those use cases, that's right. So right. there's one sector of the use cases for these Web3 technologies, call it metaverse, which has to do with better marketing, advertising, and loyalty all wrapped up into one, right? The next generation of that. So it's what do we do today, but how do we engage better with our customers to drive better relationships and more commerce? So that's exactly right. It's what we already do today. But there are are other groups that will start to leverage these technologies to not only do what they do today, but to expand that. So an example would be companies that generate content that have large audiences. So if I'm a, if I'm a content company, let's say a studio or a TV company or what have you, all that content is top down today. Or if I'm, if I'm Netflix, let's say, right? Top down, I make these shows, I buy these shows, I deliver it. So one thing you can say is, yeah, it's already we do today. How do we get more customers? But now imagine dramatically new revenue streams from Metaverse, because we've already shown with Apple and other groups that people are willing to pay spontaneously small amounts of money for digital things. Like you go into an app store, it's no, no um, shock to anyone that people will pay six bucks for this and three bucks for that and 19 bucks for this. Now imagine you're obsessed with a show on Netflix and all that all they have to offer is 20 bucks a month or 25 bucks a month, whatever. And you can share it with five friends and that's it. It's all you can eat. But I love this show. I love Game of Thrones or I love, you know, this particular show. That's an avid community base. So now if you open that up in the metaverse and you allow the ground up uh, uh, kind of community to grow with the content related to that show. And now you have back rooms. The NFTs now become what's called gated gated content communities, meaning they're like tickets. So now you can uh, offer people to buy these NFTs to get into the back room to see to see the, the actors who are backstage while they're rehearsing, to see the unusual artifacts from the show that maybe have been retired in the prop room, to, to communicate with other fans and create fan rooms and to get authorized content artifacts that people like to make and reuse and re remake like DJs. 
Now you have these communities of interest. Of course, they're going to pay another $7 a month for this and $9 a month for that. So now you take your $25 a month capability for Netflix and you turn it into an average of $100 a month by simply taking the content actors and, and abilities that you already have around branding and go ground up instead of top down. Eric, let's keep going because this is riveting. Let's talk NFTs, non-fungible tokens. I think it was Melania Trump that had an NFT issued a few weeks ago about one of her outfits or hats. I'm not sure it even sold. Gary Vee, we all know, is now issuing NFTs by the seconds. You know, buy my NFT and you get 50 books for free or buy 50 books and you get an yeah. NFT. And he's churning out cartoon characters of dogs and cats and carrots and things. Why do I want, why do I want to pay $200 for a sketch that Gary Vee did of a carrot that's something that I own now. It's, I guess, like a picture in my phone. I mean, yeah. it's not a Van Gogh. It's not, you know, an, I, I guess, talk to the person who doesn't understand why would I want to pay to buy a virtual piece of art or something in my hand? I say my hand, it's in my phone. Um, yeah, so uh, I can explain. Yes. <clears throat> so first of all, congratulations to Melania. Hope that she did quite well and um, all the others who are hawking get-rich-quick schemes related to buying low and selling high JPEGs. To answer your question, 99.9% .9 of the time, to answer your question of why would I want to buy one of these things, the answer is you wouldn't. The, the, the concept of how this works is what's known as the greater fool theory. The reason you buy it is the hope that you find a greater fool to take it off your hands so, so you can sell it. I and love your stuff. I love your quote, buy low, sell high JPEGs. It's kind of the best description I've ever heard of an NFT. Please keep going. Well, the reason why I think I have such good descriptions of this is I've been thinking at it and deeply involved since 2015 when we made the first NFTs. And everyone said, oh, it's going to be too geeky, the world NFT, non-fungible token. Who would ever call it that? It'll never become a mainstream term. So thinking about it and saying, well, what are we really trying to do here? Um, I, I came up with this idea that we're trying to create the psychology of ownership so that you can make things out of bits. You can make things out of pictures and animation and sound and code that have all the same qualities as something made out of atoms. So that's the psychology of ownership. Like I said, you could own that hat from, from Yankee Stadium. Now you can own something that is uniquely differentiated from everything else made out of bits. So to own atoms is how we understand it today. To own virtual atoms is something that we go to the next stage of the internet. This is what we talk about moving into the metaverse era. So that's why we called our company VATOM, stands for virtual atom. And the idea really is playing out very nicely from, from my view. The idea from the start was once you can embody a, uh, uh, an object that is different from any others digitally and have a third party that will absolutely guarantee it's authentic, that there is only one. Yes, there, there's only, yes, you can take a picture of the Mona Lisa and go into the Louvre. You can even throw cake on it if you want, but they'll wipe it off and you can take a picture and you can try to sell it. But people say, you know what? I don't think that's, that's nice and I'll pay you something for it, but it's not the real Mona Lisa. Like I can independently verify there's only one of these. That independent verification creates this notion of one of one, a uniqueness, an authenticity mechanism. So now imagine, and as we did in 2015, that you can take a Bitcoin and make it not boring. You can't see a Bitcoin. You can't touch it. It doesn't say ouch if you poke it. 
But now imagine that it did come alive and it, with 3D graphics, animation, sound, there was only one. And um, the way I imagined it at first was a beer. I can make a beer, I can give it to you. I don't have a beer anymore. I give it to the bartender, get a real beer. I put it on the table, see it in an augmented reality. If it's warm out and maybe it'll get warm. Maybe if the Lakers get over hundred points, it bursts into tacos. I can take them to Taco Bell. So it's gamified, it's interesting and it's unique. The thing that, that we thought from the beginning though, is that the first, like with all technologies, the first thing that everyone does is rush in to try to make as much money as they can before the bottom falls out. So the first wave of NFTs is about this buy low, sell high JPEG. It's about how do I find that greater fool? And at the same time, there are legitimate artists doing amazing things. That's why I say it's 99%, not 100. So there are actually beautiful artists that can get paid for their work and now do it in a new way and get paid on the commissions on their work. Because when it sells again and again, they, as is proper, the artist can get a commission as it sells in perpetuity to second, secondary, third, and, and onward markets. So there's a real value to that. And then there's fields uh, around what that kind of art can be. How does it become more creative? How do you create communities around it? So it is legitimate, but it's only 1%, right? The, the noise is something to avoid because you're going to get stuck in the Ponzi scheme when it eventually cracks. Now, what's going to happen now, not, not next, but literally now, the emergence of this metaverse plane, the emergence of people, places, and things, as I mentioned on the internet, has a need for things. The idea of ownership that I can take from place to place, but not things just for speculation. That's 5% or less of what's about to happen. The 95% is about engagement. It's about if I give you something, you are someone, I can now talk to you. Remember the example that you used of the soft drink manufacturer or of the, the hotel company or the airline company? Now, they have a lot of difficulty knowing who their customer is, communicating with them in a value-based way, and, and maintaining that communication for a relationship. That's what's going to happen now. Now you're going to get a ticket to a concert. It's going to open up. There'll be an Uber drive inside. Perishable inventory from Marriott will fall inside. There'll be puzzles to find in augmented reality. You complete the set, and you'll be driven to get free merchandise. You'll be interacting backstage with the band because you have unique tokens that you've leveled up or you've bought certain things that lead you to a meet and greet. You'll be interacting with people in real time with the virtual spaces that are spaces that thousands of people will come together on and interact with you in the real life spaces. And these objects will pass back and forth. So where we're going right now is a shift from speculation to engagement. And one thing I'll say, and I hope that this will be remembered because we can look back and meet again in a year, the NFT wallet will be the most powerful human engagement tool since the introduction of the internet. It's a bold statement. You clearly are at the forefront of thinking on this. You are what I would call a thought leader in this space. It also seems very much like the wild west of technology. Do you think that uh, leaders should be kind of on the sidelines watching right now? You mentioned the word Ponzi. You didn't mean that to be a, a description of the entire metaverse. What advice would you give? You're, say, say the CEO of Franklin Covey, right? A public company, global brand. We sell intellectual property. We're, a, we're the most trusted leadership company in the world. We do some things online, some things live in person. We have consultants, clients buy our content, and they build their cultures. What advice would you give the CEO of the Franklin Covey company? We do sell some things that are tangible and some things that are intangible. What should Franklin yeah. Covey be doing to capitalize on, on the metaverse technology to better know and engage with and communicate with our customers 
who at the yeah. end of the day are learning things from us to become better leaders. They're not drinking a yeah. Coke. They're not in a hotel room. So, so many things. I mean, if you're a C-level leader, and we'll deal with Frank and Covey as part of this response, but if you're a C-level leader, what you should be doing as, as the wild, wild west unfolds with any new technology is you observe, but you observe avidly and you experiment deeply. And you should be doing that maybe from 2016 to 2019, maybe 2020, those experimentations should really be deep. As you start to get into 2021, uh, you should be starting to do real pilots. In 2022, in, in this year, the dam is broken. It's no longer about that. Now you can distinguish between the Ponzi schemes and the crazy JPEG selling and the drug pulls and all of this from the substance, because now you see the evolution and the maturation of the technology has led to a natural evolution of what you do today. So if you're Frank and Covey, for instance, you're now bringing together people who want to, one, create better relationships to increase their network, two, get more information that they can apply practically to their own world, and three, probably have an iterative cycle. So it's not a one-time fix that they go out, use or forget, and then have to go back uh, and, and not know where they were. So to actually create what is now a very powerful communication channel, but to take it to the next level and actually build community where people can learn from one each other and also take the lessons from something like this and bring it into the real world, you'd want to now apply the key elements of metaverse. You'd want to apply a wallet, you'd want to apply engagement-oriented NFTs. We're talking about digital objects, not for speculation. Uh, and then we're talking about digital spaces or virtual spaces where people can come together with a different level of interaction, spontaneity, but most important, memory. Think about this. It's a well-known fact that when you watch Zoom, like right now, people who are maybe watching or listening to this, uh, some percentage are able to focus through the entire thing. Some percentage are getting distracted and doing other things while they're doing it. And some percentage have faded out because of the natural way that this technology engages us and then keeps us engaged. As you move this type of experience into a more spatial aware uh, system where you're there with other people, running into them, exchanging business cards, exchanging objects, being given objects that maybe have little quizzes associated with things or, or, or brochure-like uh, objects that can then interact with you and reinforce lessons as you move forward, you're now not only interacting where you're there, you're moving short-term memory to long-term memory in a different way. You're creating segments of education that actually start to be remembered the way memory castles work because you have a spatial awareness of where you were when you learned it. And then these objects are coming with you into your phone. And the reason why that's important is because the lessons learned and the tidbits, they might now translate into little snippets of things that I want to remind myself of or little questions that I might ask, an AI-driven uh, uh, NFT. or from a business perspective, they'll allow you to follow up, to join a community, engage in that community on an ongoing basis, both on your phone and, and, and within virtual environments, and then follow up commercially. Oh, that was interesting, I'd like to go deeper. Now I'd like to pay for this or buy that because it matters to me and I'm getting value, not for only from the community, but from the content that I can go deeper with. So I think it's a perfect use case for Metaverse. Eric, at some point will Franklin Covey be accepting cryptocurrency as payment from McDonald's, our corporate client. Is that, is that going to happen as well? I don't think so. Um, I hope not um, because it'll get very confusing for, to consumers. I think it's possible 
uh, that all of these um, all of these point systems and tokens will become uh, interoperable at the point of contact like that. But more likely, uh, if you if you have in the future, if you have certain types of tokens from McDonald's and they're interoperable, you'll go out to decentralized exchanges, you'll go out to other places and translate them into Delta Miles or into Franklin Covey points. I think more likely and more appropriately and practically, what will happen is the Franklin Covey ecosystem and community will have its own point system like American Express and others have pioneered. The difference between those point systems and this is that the point system themselves start to become part of a participatory economy where mm -hmm. people gain the points by actively adding to the economy, by giving their own lecture, by doing a comment, by moderating something to take out bad actors, by somehow improving the benefits that the economy gets, you'll be gaining these point systems which then can be used back within the system. Now, optionally, many companies, most companies will start with that, I would say in the next year or two. Optionally, what's going to, the next thing that will happen is whether you let those points escape out of the walled garden of a point system and a loyalty system into the larger areas of crypto and to be changed for other crypto. That's where you get into money transmitter laws and you have to make sure that you're aligned with how value moves. If, you, if, if something, if a piece of value moves from one person to another, that's all fine and you can cash it in at your company store. But if it moves from one person to another and then can be cashed out for fiat currencies like the US dollar or for fiat currency equivalents in crypto like Ethereum or Bitcoin, now you have to make sure that you're compliant with the right legal and regulatory bodies. All of those systems are getting into place, but there's pros and cons for when or if you ever want to do that. Eric, let's end on that note. Dial it down a couple of intellectual levels Let's talk about crypto. The majority of Americans, and I'm guessing those from the world that are listening are not yet involved in crypto. You see it you know, starting to creep, creep up. You mentioned a few yourselves, Ethereum and, and Bitcoin and Doge and Baby Doge and on and on and on. What, what, what kind of educational primer does the normal professional that has a 401k, they have an IRA, and maybe they do or don't have other investment vehicles, they're dealing in cash, they may be moving into Apple Pay, maybe they have other types of things they're starting to get comfortable with. What would you like us to know and be careful to know about general cryptocurrencies? What is the near to long-term future look like for the average consumer like me that has a net worth, I still deal in cash, I still deal in credit cards, I may write a check once a month to the lawn guy or whatever it was, I might Venmo someone, Give us some um, trusted advice on what we should know about cryptocurrencies. Absolutely. So, in, you know, I have a very similar philosophy to the fungible tokens, the cryptocurrencies, as I do to the NFTs, which is 99% are not worth investing in and are purely gambling. Doesn't mean you won't make money if you get in and get out in time. It means that it's not worth putting in money you can't afford to lose. And you have to only look at two categories, I think, of things that are worthy putting in money. One is something where you've done your research. You really understand the project. You really know the people, the backgrounds, and you believe in what they're doing, and it has substance. Uh, that, tr that's, that has to do with an NFT project as well as a cryptocurrency. Um, the other is if you just believe generally in the crypto markets and there's enough time has passed and you have enough knowledge about things like Bitcoin that you can say, you know what, I'm going to take a bet generally on this. And you can go about this in two ways, similar to stocks. You can bet on a, a kind of a core Fortune 500 stock that you think is not going away. Uh, you, you love Gillette razors. You're you know, maybe a philosophy like Warren Buffett. And you say, I use this product. I believe in the product. I'm going to hold it long term. That's where I think people can really 
do well. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna forecast prices and whether it goes up or down at any given month, day, or year. But if you believe as I do in the cryptocurrency movement from the perspective of the soundness of the technology and the and where it might apply over time in very, very substantive ways. I think Bitcoin is a good bet. And I, the reason I believe that is there's only going to be 21 million ever. The brand name is now prevalent. The largest companies and, and systems in the world have bought into it. And it may go down, it may go up in any given month or year, may go terribly down, may go crazy up. But if you look back 10 years from now and you look at what you bought now, what you bought then, I feel confident that there's a very uh, sound reasoning for it. I'm not going to advise anyone to buy it or not. But I would buy it personally. I wouldn't tell anyone else to. Similarly, when you look at other crypto projects, the only way to know whether it's going to go up or down, there is no way, even if you like the project. But I would say the only reasonable way to decide whether to invest it is either trust a trusted advisor who maybe bought an index or you trust to do it, or you really do the research. There are very, very legitimate projects doing unbelievable things. In fact, I talked about my trajectory and the amazing innovations that I saw going uh, from web one to web two uh, in the early days of the web and the internet, I've never seen more substantive innovation than I am seeing now in web three. Every single day, unbelievable geniuses from around the world are playing with each other's open source code, building new projects and doing truly earth shattering things that are gonna matter to society across sectors. So it's real, you just have to be really careful about which projects you go into because just like NFTs, 99%, won't have the substance if you don't do your research. Eric, this is now officially our longest ever C-suite conversations interview because it's been captivating. Will you take a few minutes and talk about your company, Vada? You and I met because you were a member of YPO, Young President's Organization. I was the keynote a few weeks ago at one of the conferences and you came highly recommended to me from the team. They were credible and as are you and I appreciate your time today. Talk about why does a company hire Vadim? What is it you do exactly if you will, take a moment on your value proposition again. Sure. Do uh, you remember when the PC was coming in? Um, it wasn't that, e well, those of you old enough to remember, it wasn't that easy to build what you wanted to make a PC do what you wanted. So companies like Microsoft took a lot of the key services. How do you run a printer? How do you show, how do you show an interface? How do you do a lot of things? And they put it under the hood and they called it DOS and then they called it Windows. Uh, at some point, people built higher level functions on top of that and built stacks of different types of utility. You found companies like uh, Shopify, uh, where Shopify doesn't have a store. They have millions of stores that people build on top of it. Same thing with, with Salesforce. They have a capability where millions of Salesforces can build their systems and what they want in their applications on their platform. Now we move into Web3. <clears throat> There's an infinite number of applications, infinite number of types of metaverses. You just threw out a couple examples, and I was able to riff off of Marriott and off of Delta and off of Pepsi and Coca-Cola and what have you, when you start to think about these use cases, each one really needs to understand their culture, they understand their audience, their objectives, and need to build, just as they built their websites and applications and apps in the past, now they need to build their particular outreach program, their particular metaverse initiative, not for a press release, but for a substantive adjunct, substantive evolution of their core communication strategy. Now, in order to do that, if you look at the market, you can't go into a Decentraland or a Sandbox or, or a Fortnite or a Roblox as a game and say, okay, I'm going to build my whole strategy in this guy's game. It's a game. Uh, you can make some fun things. You can do some interesting things. You get a press release, but it's not going to move the needle. 
What moves the needle is a considered well-advised strategy. What VATM does is it's laid down, just as our, our, our precursors before us in web two, it's laid down all the key services necessary and integrated them at scale with the appropriate security, with the tools to actually build on to make your metaverse. So just as Shopify has millions of metaverses, but doesn't have a store, we don't have a metaverse. We have a metaverse platform. And on that, you will build your metaverse for your business, for your customers to improve your relationships and ultimately your outcomes for revenue. Eric, send us off with some maybe uh, resources. If someone just generally wants to build their knowledge around all of this, meta and crypto and NFTs and AI and open source and you know all of that, are there some podcasts? Are there some webinars? Are there some magazines, conferences? What have you found to be trusted, credible sources that people might not be aware of, but they could start to educate themselves and their companies through? Um, well, it's a very good question. I mean, I mean, one thing that we try to do um, with our system is we try to, if you go to vatom.com, V-A-T-O-M.com, we try to lay down some of the basic information of what you need to know about what is a metaverse. It's not this and this, it is this and this, and how it might apply. And then we let you hit a button and get your own, like literally in, in, in seconds, and then to customize it and start to build. So I think that's one place. But, you know, there's just to talk about it. There's a guy named Raul Paul, P-A-L. Um, and I think that uh, he's one of the better, more, uh, I would say, informed and intelligent commentators on the space. So I would, I would recommend you look up his YouTube uh, capability, uh, YouTube um, videos and some of uh, his writings uh, to get familiar with this space as well. Eric, man, thanks for your time. What an abundance mentality. Appreciate you investing this 41 minutes into all of our listeners and viewers. Uh, Vatom.com, what a great place to also kind of create your own metaverse as well. I appreciate your time today. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation in the C-suite.